0: And ninth, your neighbour's feet with lavender oil, you munching Duncans. What is the fucking crack? Welcome to the Blind Buy Podcast. <laughs> um, I'm here in my studio, smoking my vape, having a good time. <clears throat> if this is your first podcast, go back to the very start. Um... Just do, just do for the crack. Go back to the start. We've no listeners every week. It keeps growing. Um, if you're an international cunt, if you're if you're a listener who you know came across this by accident, and you're in America or Australia, do you know? And if you've never heard of Blind by, never heard of the Rubber Bandits, if you're one of these listeners who came across this podcast in isolation, uh, what I would like you to do. Is to recommend the podcast to a friend. Because y- y- you're my most. Uh, you're like my power users. Do you know what I mean? It's like. Lots of people hear about this podcast through. My Twitter or my Instagram or whatever. But it's it's the people. Especially the people outside Ireland. Who just randomly find this podcast. And don't know anyone else who listens to it. Y- you're like the Fucking the sleeper agents you're the spies in your community so i'd like you to i don't know tell a friend about this podcast tell your american friend tell your australian friend your french friend your spanish friend whatever post about it on your facebook your twitter um you're very valuable cunts because that's that's how i get this podcast to grow in strange areas, and I've many, many strange areas. Like, there's about 250 people listening in Uruguay. The fuck, like, do you know what I mean? Shout out to my peeps in Uruguay. I hope you're having top fun in Uruguay. But yeah, to everyone else who listened last week. Oh, my chair's been a prick, is it? Hold on. Need to get a new chair. Yeah, that's very noisy. Listen to that for a rowdy chair. I'm just doing a, a, a regular amount of moving, it, moving in it now. Like, fuck that, fuck that. Um, so last week, last we did an enjoyable podcast. Last week, I liked it. It was it was about procrastination, but ironically, the podcast itself it was procrastinated because it was interrupted by a tomcat howling, and. I managed to get a photograph of the Tomcat. Okay. And I have, I've named him Silken Thomas. After the Silken Thomas rebellion. But I took a photograph of Silken Thomas. And he's completely white, do you know? And I posted this on, on Instagram and on Twitter. And some people suggested. Because last week, you know, I was like, you know, this Tomcat's really loud. And he sounded very morose. What's his deal? I was trying to figure out... You know, he's he's probably screaming because he wants a mate. Is, is he deliberately being... A little bit pathetic in order to attract a mate? But someone pointed out that... White cats... Are, are usually deaf. That uh, a lot of deaf cats tend to be white. And... He's all white... His eyes, deaf cats with blue eyes. Now, he doesn't have blue eyes. But his sister, Napper Tandy, she has one blue eye. But Silken Thomas is completely white. And maybe his very loud screams are as a result of the poor fucker being deaf. So, I don't know. I've been trying to... Because he's a feral, wild cat, you know, he's very alert anyway. So I've been trying to put myself in a situation where I'm in his blind side. Where I'm like behind him and he can't see me. But I don't know whether he can feel my feet on the ground. So I'll update you on that to see if Silken Thomas is in fact deaf. And it kind of breaks my heart because I I, I have a sore spot for cats that uh, you know are blind or deaf or have anything like that, I, I, I have a real, not a sore spot, that sounds like their existence offends me, no, I have a soft spot for them, so, if he is, like, look, the, the two cats are already feral, and I feed them, and I give him shelter, and I'm trying to get him into a situation where they could possibly be domesticated, I don't know, sit on my lap, but if it turns out that he's deaf, I will dedicate myself to his, his well-being, poor old Silken Thomas, so anyway, before I continue with the podcast, um, I I, I want to tell you about some upcoming live podcast dates that I have going. I listed out a couple last week. Um, I'm under pressure from promoters to fucking advertise the gigs because I'm shit at advertising my own gigs. Turns out I missed a lot of them last week. So this is what we have so far, right? I'll go through them quickly now. March 4th, Dublin, Vicar Street. Um, 23rd of March Waterford 30th of March Castle Blaney Monaghan I'm gigging in fucking Monaghan I guess I am 30th of March I'm in Monaghan um, April 5th I'm in Nace 6th and 7th Vicker Street again 12th of April Fucking Whitla Hall Belfast 27th of April. I'm in Cork in, in the Opera House. May. May can go fuck itself. May can fuck off. I, I look, I just called out those ones there. I, I, a limerick, actually, in May that I announced last week. That's now sold out. That's on the 9th. Sold out. I might announce a second one. Um, Yeah, that's all you need to know right now. I need to st- I need to stop making myself so fucking busy. Um I'm up the walls at the moment with creative stuff. So I, I didn't I didn't even know I had that many gigs and there's way more. I'm just going to leave them to after fucking hell. Look, we'll get them done. We'll have crack. The live gigs are very very enjoyable. I do enjoy it. I like um interviewing people and achieving that the podcast hug and the intimacy in a live environment and listening, learning, providing platforms. That's what the crack is about. So this week's podcast, um It's it's a big dirty hot take. Do you know? It's a big hot take. But the thing is is that I don't know what the hot take is. I don't I don't have I don't know exactly what the hot take is, but I I have a good feeling about it. I I feel hot takes. When I get a good hot take, I f- I feel it in my heart and my belly and I run with it. <clears throat> I don't so I don't have the words to tell you what this week's hot take is, but I think by the end of the podcast we'll have figured out what it is when I kind of explore my train of thought and hopefully achieve a state of flow, but what I can tell you is what inspired today's hot take? What got me thinking? Um, I've been thinking all day. And like mulling ideas around in my head. Around this hot take. Um, a hot take for anyone knows is, is a. An uninformed. Kind of personal opinion. Not not really uninformed but like a a personal opinion that borders on conspiracy theory that might have elements you know it's rooted in truth but it wouldn't hold up in court if you know what I mean it's it's pure and utter fucking my opinion my humble opinion on a situation um, sprinkled with lateral creative thinking we'll say not to be taken as absolute truth but rather something that uh gets you thinking and researching and you know researching and asking questions from people who know more than i do cuz i'm not a fucking expert in anything really to be honest i'm just someone who's interested in ideas <clears throat> but so anyway i was when brexit happens right we're a month off from brexit and we don't know is that going to be a no deal Brexit. We don't know. But one thing we in Ireland do know. Is. A lot of we'll say. Banks in particular. Big international banks. Are looking at Dublin. For their international headquarters. Now. We're in the middle of a. Pretty serious housing crisis in Ireland. Especially in Dublin. There's no. No. Kind of houses to buy. Uh, People aren't getting mortgages anyway, even if they want them. The mortgages are prohibitive. There's people hoarding land because they're waiting for the best price. There's a shortage of housing, basically. Rents are astronomical. And when these large corporations, you know, set up headquarters in Ireland, in Dublin, it's only going to make it worse because a huge contributing factor to the housing crisis and the rent crisis in dublin it's not only the likes of we say airbnb and most people choosing to do short-term lettings rather than rent out their gaff it's more than that it's because we have the corporate headquarters of so many massive international corporations google facebook and all of this because we have this in dublin as a result of ireland's incredibly low tax rate um the biggest companies in the world pretty much don't pay any tax because of the irish loophole that our country has created but these corporate headquarters are in ireland mostly in dublin and this is one of the reasons that rent is so high so logic would suggest that after Brexit when more of these cons arrive yeah they might create a few jobs but it puts rent higher up than and out of reach of ordinary Dublin people and another thing happened in Dublin in the past 3 months which I can only see as being a problem in the future even though it's dressed as a good thing so Dublin City Council made it legal for people to build log cabins in their back gardens without needing planning permission. So now in Dublin and log cabins are pretty they're pretty decent, you know you you could you could sleep and live in a log cabin. It's not as good as a house, but you can sleep in a log cabin. So now what what what, what I think this is what I think is going to happen in Dublin with the log cabins, right? the people who are going to put log cabins in their back garden will be parents who have children, you know, Dublin people and their children are now late 20s, early 30s these Dublin well, they're not children, they're adults these Dublin people now are trying to get a mortgage, they're trying to buy a house they can't, even if they have good jobs even if their partners have good jobs it's still pretty much fucking impossible to buy a gaff in dublin unless you're very wealthy so i think dublin city council is after allowing parents to build these log cabins out the back garden so that the children the adult children can move in live there not not technically have to live in their parents house have a certain degree of autonomy in the back garden and to live there with their partner until they can get enough money together for a fucking a deposit and then get a mortgage that's what i think's going on okay um and anyone can do it now because you don't need planning permission um if ev- now of course eventually what's going to happen is people will build log cabins just to rent them out for two grand a month that's what's going to happen so you already have people essentially living in sheds in dublin renting sheds for two grand landlords are going to fuck a log cabin into the back of the garden and the the standards of the conditions for renting will drop further. They're already pretty bad in Dublin. There's a huge problem with slum landlords, 16 people to a fucking room type of carry-on. This is what's going to happen with the, the log cabins. So anyway, my hot take around that, that got me thinking about the hot take i'm going to explore in this episode i just find it interesting that i'm going to use the term millennials right now i don't i don't particularly like terms like millennial generation x baby boomer i because the media use them in quite a divisive fashion and they're kind of inaccurate and it's a great way to divide people and say us and them but for the purposes of clarity, I'm going to be saying millennial, baby boomer, Generation X in this podcast because not, I don't support those nomenclatures. I, I just like, when I say what a millennial is, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When I say what a baby boomer is, you know what I'm talking about. Same with Generation X. So a millennial is you know someone born between 1982 and the year 2000. So, who's trying to get on the property ladder right now? Mostly millennials, alright? Generation Z, born in 2000. You know, the the, the oldest of them are 18, like, or 19. So we're talking millennials. So millennials are going to be moving into their parents' back gardens in Dublin, in log cabins, so that they can try and get on the property ladder. Now, the other problem that's going to happen is and I've mentioned this before that's all like first off you shouldn't have to live in a log cabin but it's all well and good if you're a Dublin native and your parents live in Dublin if you're a culture and you're not from Dublin and you're working in Dublin well fuck you pretty much it's just have a job in Dublin, pay extortionate rent you're never going to fucking be able to own a gaff so it will create a new a new pale essentially where the only people with a chance to get on the property ladder will be Dublin natives who live in their parents' log cabins. But here's the hot take uh, that got me thinking today that I find interesting. Most of these Dublin millennials, when they were kids in the late 80s or the early 90s, their parents probably bought them a Wendy house. And a Wendy house is... A very small you know slightly larger than a a dog house a very small wooden replica house that a child goes into and they get a feeling or a sense of autonomy the child goes out the back garden into the little wooden wendy house and it has a door and it has a little window and they can effectively play house inside in this wendy house it's a role play it's a way to practice autonomy independence being an adult And isn't it so fucking ironic that now the parents are building full-sized fucking Wendy houses out the back because culture and society did not deliver on the promise of the original Wendy house. Generation X and baby boomer parents genuinely believed that their millennial children would grow up in a world where they could have access to property. And... You know i don't want to subscribe to the fucking idea that you know for gen x or for baby boomers it was easy to get a gaff of course there was hardship of course there was high taxes all of this yes it was hard but not as hard as it is for millennials not by a fucking long shot okay you can account for inflation all you want the facts of the matter are property is several times more expensive right now even when you account for inflation so I'm not saying... You know... If you're in your 50s... Or your 60s... And you're listening to this... I'm not saying it was easy on you... Of course it was hard... To get a gaff, But... Right now... For millennials... It's... More or less impossible... Especially if you're living in the likes of Dublin... So that was the hot take that got me thinking... Isn't that interesting? Building these Wendy houses... And now they're living in a giant fucking Wendy house out the back... In... ...what can be described as... ...extended childhood. Okay? And this... ...this extended childhood idea is... ...where the hot take is going for this episode. Now I want to try and achieve an uninterrupted state of flow. So before we get into this hot take... um, ...because there's going to be a lot of thinking involved... ...I... ...I'm going to do the ocarina pause. Ocarina is still missing. Probably gone forever... Haven't bought a new ocarina yet, so like last week, we have the banjo pause. A few of you loved the banjo pause last week. A few of you said you really enjoyed that I had introduced a banjo into the podcast. So we're going to do it again this week. This week, last week I played it with my fingers. I have a plectrum this time, which makes it more uh, a bit clearer. So I'm going to play the banjo for a little bit, and you might hear an advert. This is like a warning, just so an advert doesn't come out of nowhere and shock the shit out of you. An advert for a Passat or an Audi or the British Army. So here's the banjo pause. Okay, that's gone, that's gone tit-shaped. The banjo pause with with two incorrect notes in there. Sure, fuck it. Um, I'm going to put it down now because it's heavy. Also, this podcast is sponsored by you the listener via the Patreon page. Please, if you're if you're enjoying this podcast and it's doing something for you, please subscribe to the Patreon. Um Patreon.com forward slash the blind boy podcast. If you would like to give me a pint or a cup of coffee once a month, you can do that. You can become a patron of this podcast by uh, going to patreon.com forward slash the blind by podcast please do it gives me a regular source of income keeps the podcast going it brings me happiness and security in my life so if you're enjoying it there's a little exchange that we can have a meaningful exchange if you can't afford it you don't have to you can keep listening for free all right it's a suggested donation um but i would highly suggest it god bless you Okay, on to the hot take. So, the hot take is... I don't know what it is, but some of the themes that I want to explore are... How, again, how culture and politics and economics kind of work alongside each other, you know? How culture in, in specific... Culture being music, art, whatever. How culture often reflects and sometimes predicts economics and politics. I want to begin by talking about yuppies. Um, yuppies were a phenomenon in the 1980s, right? It means young urban professional. Yuppies, they would have worn, like, they're, they're most of them would have been centred around large city areas, right? There was loads of yuppies in London, loads of them in New York, might have been a few in Dublin, I don't know, but this was the style, we'll say, for... They would have been late baby boomers. Baby boomers were people that were, you know, born just after World War II, with the baby boom. Well, the yuppies would have been at the late stage of the baby boomers. Yuppies would have been born in the mid-60s, early 60s, you know. Whereas the first wave of baby boomers were born in the 40s. So, yuppies were young people in the 1980s who, as a culture, embraced materialism. They, you know, had jobs in banking, finance, the, the, the emerging tech industry. Young urban professionals... They fetishized materialism. They wore Versace. I think they were fond of Versace suits, expensive watches. They would drink champagne. They'd drive Porsches. A very materialistic culture based on wealth, affluence, working hard, and being an adult. The thing with yuppie culture is when you look back at it, there's nothing humorous about it. You laugh at them, but there's no humor within yuppieism. If you want to see what I'm talking about, you know, The Wolf of Wall Street, look at that film. That's about yuppies. Okay? Very wealthy, doing cocaine, very affluent, lunatics, excessive. Um, American Psycho... Is about yuppies... There's no room for... Humour or irony... Yuppies were very very serious... And they were about achieving goals... And this type of shit... Now... Like what interests me with any... Cultural youth movement is... You know... How does it come about? What, What are the... Economic and political settings... That something like that comes about... And usually what is it a response to when young people by which I mean from I don't know fucking 18 to mid 30s when they express themselves culturally it tends to be a kind of a response to what went before so you know why all of a sudden in the 1980s like what happens in the early 80s whereby young people essentially want to start wearing suits and becoming business people and embracing capitalism and embracing materialism where where does that come from well first off you have to look at what they're responding to they're responding to earlier baby boomers who were hippies Um, yuppieism is the exact opposite of what the hippies were the hippies were all about free love changing the world you know, deconstructing capitalism, deconstructing big business, everything should be free, we should live in this perfect fucking utopia uh, with love and peace. That was early baby boomer hippies. And then their younger brothers and sisters, you know, when the hippies start to get a bit old, when the hippies start to get into their mid-30s and the 70s, the young kids are going, well, that's not fucking cool, how can I do the opposite? how can I do the opposite to what my uncool older brother is now doing snorting coke with a skullet so (laughs) the uppies come about now also it's not just as simple as we're all going to start wearing suits and getting jobs in banks because it's not cool to have flares and long hair and smell like patchouli oil and listen to the Beatles It's not just that. And of course with these things too, it all relates to what's known as the zeitgeist. The zeitgeist is a flavour in the air. It's something that's present in the food we eat, the way we speak, the music we listen to, our economics, our politicians. The zeitgeist is the general hum or feeling of an era. And... It's very hard to pin down what the zeitgeist is when you're living in it. You generally need 15 years to be able to look back. And then you go, ah, that's the flavor of the 80s. That's what the 80s smells like, looks like, tastes like, sounds like. That's what the 2000s smells like and tastes like and sounds like. That's a zeitgeist. So, zeitgeists are influenced by many factors. So what would have influenced the 80s yuppie zeitgeist? A cultural response to hippies, obviously. That's not cool anymore. I need to redefine myself because I'm young as something completely different. But also, with the late 70s, you see a kind of... The ideals of the hippies. You see these things disappearing. Um, One of the good things that happened after World War II is Britain and America got a bit of a shock and they moved towards what we'd now call socialism in a lot of their policies, you know. They moved towards, you know, Britain established the NHS, free healthcare for all, uh, started rolling out council houses. Compassion became part of public policy just after uh, World War II because Britain was nearly fucking blown to bits and taken over by the Nazis so they said oh fuck it maybe, maybe we'll stop being cons there for about 20 years and unions unionisation workers rights all these positive things that we should see a return to they did start crumbling a bit in the late 70s New York City for instance and we spoke about this in our hip hop podcast New York City had gone bankrupt and and so, things like you, like unions fell apart in Britain and in America. Now, the unions fell apart for a couple of reasons. There was a financial crisis in the late 80s... Or, sorry, late 70s as a result of... What was it? Something to do with the Saudis and oil. And that fucked the world over anyway. So, that didn't help the economy. And it didn't help... Uh, people lost jobs. Um, it didn't help the tax base. If you're going to have things like free health... Free transport, free housing. You need to have a healthy tax base, obviously, to pay for it. But also, unions became corrupt. Corruption, uh, you know, in America, the mafia infiltrated a lot of unions. Now, as well, what's worth talking about is big business lobbyists very much were all about breaking unions. When the unions fell apart in the 70s in America, big business and lobbyists were rubbing their hands together going fucking brilliant now we can exploit some people unions stop people from being exploited but they are also can be open to corruption if not run properly but you know union busting was very much a thing especially in the climate of the 60s in America where unionists were seen as communists do you know what I mean so people in the early 80s got to see they would have seen socialism as being a very bad thing if the teachers union is fallen apart if transport unions are falling apart naturally in the early 80s people are going to go well that's socialism that's fucking shit give me something different so in the 80s early 80s the Americans vote in Ronald Reagan and the Brits vote in Margaret Thatcher and a lot of the problems horrible problems that we see today in the world uh, with inequality in in the West we'll say in, in Ireland, Britain, America the problems we see today are as a result of Reagan and Thatcher and shit that they did and are as a result of yuppies in the early 80s wanting a quick, easy solution and this allowed kind of promises of reagan and thatcher to be very appealing to these people thatcher was in or sorry reagan was into trickle-down economics which is the belief it's an economic belief that the wealthy and wealthy businesses should not be taxed that don't tax the wealthy don't tax the businesses let them operate without being taxed because technically what should happen is that if they are not subject to tax they can be really really successful and then that trickles down the money trickles down so by leaving the rich off and letting them being productive and captains of industry then the money will trick in that trickle down to the middle and working classes and the economy will be fine that's trickle down economics and Reagan managed to convince America that this was the way forward in the 80s against the backdrop of unions falling apart and fucking New York going bankrupt. A very simple and tasty solution. Of course, we now know that fucking did not happen. Even the, the IMF in 2015 said all trickle-down economics does is it makes the rich get richer. It's that simple. So, Reagan and his trickle-down economics, yuppies fucking loved that, obviously. Then in Britain, you had Thatcher. Thatcher's thing was, again, trickle-down economics, but also a love of neoliberalism. Neoliberalism being the idea that things that are formerly, formerly controlled by the state should be handed over to private powers so it's basically the privatization of transport the privatization of healthcare, the privatization of housing like what thatcher did and it's interesting because if you look at footage of yuppies in the 80s in london being interviewed these are young wealthy urban professionals you'd expect them when you hear them to be like posh english people they're not their accents are kind of either middle class or working class accents these are not Posh, generationally wealthy people. They're new money. And Thatcher very much. Appealed to this new money. People who would have grown up. And benefited from. Socialist ideas. They would have you know. Yuppies would have grown up. Benefiting from council houses. Benefiting from. Free healthcare from the NHS. You know. Something their parents didn't necessarily have. Yuppies became adults. Benefiting from this. But then they saw it fall apart in the late 70s and thatcher introduced a thing called the right to buy which was again sold off the back of a lie thatcher basically went to the british people and said if you are currently in a council house right as in you essentially rent your gaff from the council at a very affordable rate if you're in that situation i will allow you to be able to buy your gaff at an affordable price, so swathes of people did this. They bought their council houses in Britain in the eighties. Now, the promise was you can buy your gaff, and when anyone asked Thatcher and said, "But then there'd be no council houses, Thatcher would have said, "Oh, don't worry, like we're going to build more council houses. I'm just giving people right now the right to purchase their council houses if they want to become homeowners." Um, because Thatcher sold it as a way for people to become upwardly mobile, to move, we'll say, social classes in Britain. But the council, you know, the new council houses were not built. The they weren't. Instead, what it did is it took the burden of council housing off the state and off councils into private hands. Straight up neoliberalism absolutely grand if you were lucky enough to be able to sell the council house but fucked over future generations now resulting in a massive housing crisis in britain as well and in london and this is why you know areas like hackney which used to be full of council houses are now prohibitively expensive when i stayed over in london i stayed in a council flat in soho well it was a council flat in the 60s it would have been built as a council flat now it was still like a small council flat but would have had the price of a luxury apartment, it would have been 3 million if someone was to buy it and BBC were renting it out for me for like fucking 2 grand a month or something and you know, like as well I know someone over in in London they're a television lawyer and their husband is a television lawyer two incredibly wealthy people and they were bragging about buying an ex-council flat in, in Hackney, this small gaff that had been built in the 50s to be social housing is now a fetishised property in London and people who don't have money don't have access to social housing because of what Thatcher did in the 80s the promises that she made and then broke so yuppies loved Thatcher and they loved Reagan and yuppie culture was based around materialism wealth, business Suits, champagne, oyster bars, Porsches. All this stuff that's incredibly superficial with a a very serious veneer. You don't imagine a yuppie laughing. You imagine a yuppie with a serious face doing serious business and a giant mobile phone to their ear. That's what a yuppie is. Yuppies don't laugh. When yuppies laugh, they it's a cynical laugh with a champagne glass in their hand because they just did a deal not not a, a culture that we particularly look back on fondly unless we're mocking it okay yuppies effectively ended in 1987 what happened in 1987 there was a massive stock market crash a huge crash all over the world that effectively became the end of the yuppie 1987 the end of their ideals the ideal of wearing suits being dead serious you know working in finance this this fad i'm not saying that that's stuff disappeared but that particular fad amongst young people that was proven now to, that failed a lot of people so that ended in 1987 um so I think now I'm get, I'm kind of getting close to, to naming... ...knowing myself what the fucking hot take is. Um. So here it is. Here's the blistering. Here's the blistering hot fucking take. You know, that'll burn your mouth. It'll burn your chest. So the, it's 2019. And as I've mentioned before on this podcast... I love the film Blade Runner. Blade Runner was made in 1982 and the events of Blade Runner happen in November tw- 2019. Blade Runner happens 2019 now and Blade Runner was a, a bold prediction of the future. It was a prediction of this is what shit's gonna be like in 2019. And if we're being honest, it's it's not accurate. Blade Runner while being a fucking incredible piece of work and possibly my favourite film is not a particularly accurate prediction of 2019. Of the life and the world culturally that we live right now. There's no one chasing around humanoid robots and shooting them in the street. There's no flying cars. Okay. The roaring hot take that I have is that the film from the 80s that most correctly predicted... The world that we live in now. Under our noses. Is. Big. With Tom Hanks. The film Big with Tom Hanks. 1988. That is a more accurate. Cultural marker. Satire. And prediction of 2019. Than any science fiction film. In the fucking 80s. Including Blade Runner. And I'm going to try and explore why I think that is and why I'm talking about fucking yuppies Big is first of all it's a fucking incredible film I only rewatched it this week um, there's a few problematic dated things in there I'm not going to get into them but as a film it's fantastic it's a fucking brilliant film I'm sure you've all seen it it's about a child Who's 12 years of age. You know in a nutshell. He goes to a carnival. Wishes that he could be an adult. With this machine. Wakes up the next day as a 30 year old man. That's big. In a nutshell. Directed by Penny Marshall. Um, What makes Big interesting. Is that it it was the first ever film. Directed by a a woman. That had uh, grossed 100 million in the box office. What. I find it also incredibly interesting about Big, especially now as I'm, you know, I'm I'm trying to make the case here that Big correctly predicted the future, more so than any science fiction film of the 80s. Big was written by Steven Spielberg's sister, Anne Spielberg. Spielberg, of course, you know, fucking directed Star Wars in 1980. Blade Runner 1982 is Ridley Scott, but... Star Wars and Blade Runner two years apart. They set. Both of those set the template for science fiction in film. They set the modern template. A film is either like Blade Runner. Where it's intellectual and dystopian. Or it's like Star Wars. Where it is blockbuster and massive. And Spielberg's sister Anne. Wrote the script to Big. So if you go at the film Big. With a fucking scalpel. And... You know, don't look at it as just... You know, The it is a very entertaining family film. It's a feel-good film. You know, it's very imaginative. It's creative. Uh, Tom Hanks is fantastic in it. It's a great fucking film. But if you go at it with a knife... And look at its subtext... And... You know, whether deliberate or not... You know... I don't know whether big is intended as a, as a satire but what I am interested in is like I said the zeitgeist big is released 1988 the yuppie ends in 1987 with this huge stock market crash black monday as it was known um, actually right now there's a tv series with Don Cheadle called black monday about yuppies and I haven't seen it yet now, but it's about yuppies and about stock market crash um but anyway big is released in 1988 i think that what big actually is that's the start of the that is the the cultural um touchstone for when yuppies began to be culturally rejected big is the beginning of that okay because first off big is a, it's a comedy film okay um And a lot of the comedy in it is there's a child, the child wakes up one day as a 30-year-old man played by Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks plays a child trapped in a 30-year-old man's body. So it's Tom Hanks, full-blown adult, acting like a 12-year-old. It's a 12-year-old in a 30-year-old man's body. So the humour of Big relies entirely upon the utter absurdity of an adult behaving like a child like this what this tells us is that culture in 1988 the yuppie as I'd mentioned culturally it's all about not only the fetishization of materialism but adult yuppies are adults even though yuppies were fucking under the age of 30 between 20 and 30 they were very serious business like adults they were not into frivolities humour they left their teens behind they put on a suit and they became about the world and caring about Reagan and caring about Thatcher and caring about money they were serious okay so now all of a sudden in big 1988 you've got Tom Hanks the first scene that we kind of explore the humour of tom hanks as an adult who's actually a child we see him on a fucking bmx that's too small for him and this is hilarious and you see him you know sitting down with his buddy in an ice cream parlor and even the fact that tom hanks as a 30 year old man is eating an ice cream sundae is viewed as absurd because 30 year old men in 1988 are eating caviar and drinking champagne they wouldn't be seen dead in an ice cream parlour because ice cream is for children extravagant bowls of chocolate ice cream are for fucking children BMX's are for children for teenagers a yuppie doesn't have a BMX he's got a Porsche so eventually Tom Hanks' character the 30 year old man who's really a child finds his way into a job he ends up getting a job in computers very easily because because he's 12 he's fucking around with computers in his bedroom and then as an adult 30 year old he walks into this job in a tie making company a company that makes ties for children he walks into this job as a low-level tech employee and all of a sudden finds himself in an office and big is you know it's classic fish out of water Fish out of water is a technique that films or books or whatever will use. Comedy, in particular. If you want to create comedy, get a fish and get the fish and put them out of water. And what you are guaranteed is a number of um, scenarios where we, the audience, understand how it's supposed to go, but our characters' eccentricities eccentricities contradict it, and then hilarity ensues. So, because that's the humour that Big is operating under we get to see... what the expectations of a 30-year-old adult actually were in 1988. And what's interesting are the things that Tom Hanks' character is doing... in this office. First off, he's dressing unconventionally. He starts off wearing a suit, but on his shoes he wears runners. So he's wearing runners and a suit, and this is hilarious, and this is absurd. And it draws the ire and curiosity of all the adults around him in his office when he works there also interestingly is the love interest in Big played by Elizabeth Perkins so Elizabeth Perkins in Big she's your typical yuppie she is a power suit wearing giant shoulder pads fucking yuppie focused on her job Okay, and Tom Hanks is there as this giant child in the office. One thing that I am interested in with Big is the psychology of it. What did stand out for me as being particularly interesting when we're first introduced to Elizabeth Perkins' character, one of the first scenes is her in the office and all the other women are having a baby shower. Now, she's like 30 in Big, all the other women are having a baby shower for one of the women in the office who's just had a child and you see Elizabeth Perkins not giving a fuck about the baby shower at all walking past it and then she goes immediately to her office because she works in a toy company and she's working with a doll a little kid's doll that's a very subtle scene in Big but I don't think the director or the writer would put would have put something as, as strong a signifier as, as that without it meaning something you know, a 30 year old woman walking away from the expectation to have a child and then playing with this doll there's something of value in that but anyway, back to Tom Hanks Tom Hanks soon climbs the ranks of the company because he meets the boss in a toy shop and Tom Hanks, because he's a secret fucking child exhibits uh, a playfulness and a freedom that a child should have around ties and isn't afraid to play with them and isn't afraid to express his silly side and the boss of the company finds this endearing and gives him the job as a head kind of creative in the office now so now Tom Hanks is 30 years of age has just walked into this job where he is the main developer of children's ties and his office becomes transformed into this space where it's just full of kids' ties and on the door written in crayon, says, keep out. And now he no longer wears a suit to work. Instead, what he wears are very colourful shirt and jeans and sneakers. And this, in the context of 1988, is utterly fucking hilarious because it is so strange, it is so odd, and it is a satirical deconstruction of the yuppie, okay? It's everything the yuppie believes and holds in this film big is now a a mirror is held up to it and it said yuppies are fucking absurd this is wrong and now this character that Tom Hanks is embodying this is the way forward this is who you should be yuppies are uptight Tom Hanks is the way forward look at him he's having crack he's a nice person he's a child and this becomes reinforced for me the viewer and for any Remember too. The people looking at Big. Big would have been marketed to teens. It's a teen film. So. The. 12 year olds. 13 year olds. Who would have been watching Big. Who are Generation X now. They're not baby boomers. Are now looking at Big. And watching this Tom Hanks character. Pointing at. Late Generation X yuppies. And going. Look at you you sad cunts. And. And. How this is really solidified is the character that Elizabeth Perkins is playing she becomes sexually attracted now to Tom Hanks and she has a boyfriend can't think of the fucking boyfriend's name but the boyfriend is your straight up yuppie he is a yuppie and he's clearly an asshole and the thing with him is that he's an incredibly boring aggressive um. Serious man. Who embodies all of the yuppie qualities. All he does is talk about work. All he cares about is owning things. And he is the villain. Now in this movie. Elizabeth Perkins boyfriend. And. Tom Hanks anyway eventually ends up. With Elizabeth Perkins attracted to him. Because he's the free child. Who wears tackies. Or sneakers. And jeans and walks around the office like a giant child playing with toys and Elizabeth Parkins' fella now appears like a stuck up prick who is no fun to be around so this conveys to the audience now the young uh, young generation, X, 12, 13 year olds, 14 year olds if you were like Tom Hanks you were going to get the girl that's the message, you are going to get the girl and sure what more powerful message he is now the hero of this film, this person who is rejecting the ideals of the opie and deconstructing the traditional workplace environment. Now, another aspect of the psychology of Big that I find incredibly interesting is it's something we spoke about before on a transactional a, a, a podcast about transactional analysis now transaction analysis as a school of psychology would have been quite popular in the mid 80s it would have been part of uh, pop psychology and pop culture and within transaction analysis, analysis we have two separate states of like just to take give you a quick refresher transaction analysis I can't, what the fuck why can't i say analysis transaction analysis States that us as humans have three ego states that we move in and out of at all times in how we exist. Parent, adult, and child, okay? I believe that big is an analysis of the child ego state that we can occupy because within transaction analysis, there's two types of child. There is our free child. Our free child is the part of us that is carefree, compassionate, playful, Creative and explores—that's our free child. But then the other child that we sometimes um, can inhabit within ourselves that isn't very helpful to us as adults is the what's called the adaptive child. And the adaptive child is jealous. The adaptive child gets hurt. The adaptive child has poor control of its emotions, so it can throw tantrums. So if you look at Tom Hanks's character in Big, that's the free child. He's creative and carefree and is devoid of ego. And then you look at Elizabeth Parkins's boyfriend, who is his love rival. He's the adaptive child. He is, there's a scene in it where he vindictively ends up with Tom Hanks in a headlock and ends up hitting him and getting jealous. And then there's a line in it where when Elizabeth Parkins finally leaves her boyfriend for Tom Hanks, the boyfriend says to Elizabeth Perkins... What does he have that I don't have? <clears throat> that I don't have. My fucking voice has gone now... Because I've gone too hot in the take. <clears throat> Two seconds. So Elizabeth Perkins' boyfriend says to her... What does Tom Hanks have that I don't have? And she says... He's a grown-up. And that's about three quarters way through the film. And it's a it's a beautiful irony. It's a beautiful irony because... Tom Hanks isn't a grown-up. He's an actual child in an adult's body. But i that's why I think the writer or the director were looking at transaction analysis because to be incorporating your free child as part of your adult state, that's a very grown-up thing to do. To be incorporating creativity, compassion, these things, those are really adult things to be carrying around bitterness, resentment, jealousy... Uh, these are not adult things these are things that toddlers do, do you know so it's it's a lovely telling moment in the film so where things get quite interesting for me and where i see things as being culturally significant and representative of, of the zeitgeist of the, of the time and, and what has gone forward is Tom Hanks ends up buying, a, you know, a huge studio apartment, a Manhattan apartment, which is it's in direct contrast to Elizabeth Perkins' and her fellas' apartment, right? So they have the classic yuppie apartment with the designer furniture and the fucking fancy fridge and all these adult things, okay? That's what their apartment is like. Tom Hanks' apartment does not have these things. He's got a bunk bed. He's got a giant trampoline. He's got a fucking vending machine that has Pepsi in it. He's got a foosball table. He has the trappings of childhood. He has the apartment that a 10-year-old child would have if they could afford an apartment. And this is presented to us, the viewer, in 1988 as fucking hilarious and outlandish. And isn't it mad that this 30-year-old man has got a trampoline in his gaff? ...isn't that crazy... ...ha ha ha... ...right? And... ...it's... ...big is... ...it is a rejection of... ...the 1980s culture of yuppies. By... ...80-fucking-8... ...people had gotten tired of these stuck-up cunts... ...but also... (coughs) ...it coincides beautifully... ...with the stock market crash big couldn't have come at a better time not only was the yuppie disappearing as a result of economics but it's quite clear because big was a fucking runaway success it's clear that the yuppie was now an object of contempt now i spoke about how the yuppie came about in the early 80s because in the late 70s it had appeared that uh, socialism had failed and not only had socialism failed, like with the with the collapse of unions, not only did it appear that it had failed, but it appeared that that the misery or the reason you lost your job was because of socialism. So a new deal was needed. Reagan, Thatcher, these these were the people that were promising this is the new way to do things and yuppies embraced this. By 87, there's this huge fucking stock market crash. What happens with a stock market crash? There's a massive recession. Ordinary people are now having their lives affected. People are losing jobs. People don't have enough money in the real world. So yuppies now become the object of contempt. In the way that yuppies looked at unions and hippies, the yuppies looked at hippies and said, you fucking free love communist socialist pricks, fuck you, give me Reagan. Now the teenagers who are the audience of big in 1988 are looking at the yuppies who are now in their late 30s thirt- or their early 30s and going you fucking pricks my dad lost my job because of ye you extravagant bastards with your fucking watches and your slick back hair and your business cards and your champagne you false fuckers nothing about ye is real you're not cool but overall the biggest critique in big and the biggest critique against yuppies... Is that... It's like saying to the yuppie... You... You couldn't wait long enough to grow up... It's like... you, As soon as you... You were, you were a teenager... And as soon as you got to fucking 18 years of age... You put on the fucking suit... And you went to work... You couldn't wait... And that's the whole thing... The overarching message of Big is... Enjoy your childhood. Don't rush to be an adult. Because at the end, Tom Hanks's character reverts to being a child. He doesn't like the adult life. And yuppies are all about, I am a fucking serious adult. And I'm not frivolous. And I'm not interested in anything that children are into. And they had disdain for children. And that's what Big does. And the... 15 16 year olds that are looking at it are going yeah, fuck those idiots I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy my childhood a bit. So these 16 year olds who are the earliest stages of generation X they when they get to 18 19 they inherit inherit a world that is the post 1987 crash they now don't have the economic opportunities and opportunities for employment that the yuppies had in the 80s. Now, things still weren't fucking terrible. In the early 90s, an 18, 19-year-old or, so, or someone in their 20s could, could could still live, okay? they could They could rent apartments. They could get basic jobs. They could go to college. They mightn't have had... Huge opportunities for wealth or to immediately buy a house that yuppies had, but they could live. And this is we get to about 1990, and the kids who watched Big, the teenagers, are now adults and they embrace what's known as early 90s slacker culture. And slacker culture is grunge music, you know, you look at. Kurt Cobain and the Seattle grunge scene. That's classic slackerism. Um, you see the way MTV went in the early 90s with fucking kind of an apathy, you know, a, a rejection of ideals, a postmodern irony. Irony. That Simpsons episode where Homer hangs out with Smashing Pumpkins, which is kind of a critique of Generation X, that, that sums it up nicely, that Generation X apathy and... I'm too cool to care about anything and slackerism and slackerism became the complete and utter rejection of the yuppie it's the opposite of the yuppie so like I said cultural things they go in cycles the young reject what is cool of the people that are now in their 30s the young have to find their identity so if being a yuppie means I'm going to wear a fucking suit, I'm going to get a job, I'm going to do the daily grind, I'm going to try my hardest, and and, uh, I'm going to be a fucking adult. Generation X have now turned that on their head. Generation X are, instead of buying expensive suits, are buying second-hand flannel shirts and wearing jeans that have rips in them and are not interested in getting a career. Instead, as we can see in slacker films like Clerks, you know, directed by Kevin Smith, they're they're working in video shops. Quentin Tarantino, who was a classic fucking early 90s slacker, he worked in a fucking video shop and spent his day looking at videos, coming up with ideas for his films. You look at Wayne's World, that, again, adopts slacker culture. What are they doing all day? Drinking, smoking hash, listening to rock music, living in their giant fucking studio apartment that's in a really you know, a shit part of town. You have to remember, too, Generation X had the opportunity to move into, we'll say, the east end of London when it was very poor and very run down and rent out a warehouse for next to nothing and live in a giant warehouse with repurposed furniture. And yes, they're living in... They don't have a lot of fucking money and they're hanging out in coffee houses, but they're able to live. And Generation X are living in... Warehouses, studio apartments, repurposed places that aren't the are the, the exact opposite of the fetishized manhattan Manhattan apartment that the yuppies were living in. They're now moving to Brooklyn, to old warehouses, places that are dodgy, that are rough, places that they would consider authentic. And these are now the people that have inherited this, but also they're living at a time where they don't have as much opportunity as the uppies so they feel like postponing their 20s a bit they're going to slack they're not going to try they're going to wait because ultimately too they do have the privilege of knowing they're not going to end up starving and homeless okay that's an important thing with these Generation X uh, slackers they had the luxury of slacking around and having as their cultural heroes people who postponed adulthood into the late 20s you know uh, who who didn't wear suits who didn't try and get a job that's a luxury that they could afford because they weren't going homeless they could live somewhere they could get by they might not have had much but they could get by And they also had the confidence that they were slacking, they were postponing. I'm just going to chill until I'm about 27, 28, and then when I get to 28, then I'll get the real job. They had the confidence in knowing because of the baby boomers before them, shit will work out. If I follow this, if I go to college, yeah, I can take a gap year, I can fuck off to East Asia and come back and get a spiritual awakening but yes things will be grand and I will own a house eventually Generation X had that knowledge and confidence that they would be okay eventually so I view the lifestyles that you see in films like Wayne's World Beavis and Butthead um, these being able to live in the cool fucking warehouse and be in a band and not earn a lot of money looking back it's actually a privilege it's a privilege that Generation X had. Um, millennials today don't really have that privilege. They don't have the privilege of, oh, I'm just going to move into a fucking cool warehouse and earn nothing and be grand. That doesn't exist anymore. Now, <clears throat> one of the benefits of slacker culture, early 90s Gen X culture, is there's a cynicism in it, uh, an irony and a cynicism and from this irony and cynicism, you kind of get the the end point of postmodernism, and the irony and cynicism, it's a rejection of, we'll say, what baby boomers would have held to be true. So, from a cultural point of view, you end up with art that cynically and ironically borrows from everything that has gone before and mixes it up. Just for the crack, the film's a fucking Quentin Tarantino like Pulp Fiction, bloody incredible film, work of genius. But all Pulp Fiction is—it's literally p- p- fiction, pulp fiction from the '50s, stock stories, caught up and put together in a new form. The music of Beck, Beck the artist—if you listen to his albums around '93, '94, like Audley, he was just taken from every piece of music that had gone before mixing it together with a lot of fun and a lot of creativity hip-hop is an example of that hip-hop is a generation x music how it came about hip-hop again sampling from from james brown sampling from the previous generation mixing it up and making something new so creatively it was the slackerism created the last great art forms in music to be honest because the music industry really really fucking thrived off Generation X uh, slackers MTV thrived off it you know fashion thrived off it designer ripped jeans but where the Generation X slacker culture where, where the people of this start when it starts to pay off they get a bit older And the mid-90s comes about. And the promise they made to themselves when they were 18, which is, I'm not going to do this fucking yuppie shit where I'm going to wear a suit and do what the man tells me and be in the rat race. Fuck that. When they start to get to 26, 27, the internet comes along. And the pioneers of the World Wide Web you know, the shit that we see in the 2000s dot-com bubble uh, Silicon Valley everything we live today, we see these pioneers come out of Generation X and or slacker culture Um, not technically a tech example, but Starbucks like Starbucks began in Seattle out of the grunge scene in the 90s as a coffee shop because coffee shops were You know, if if yuppies were drinking in champagne bars, the exact opposite is a coffee shop where you simply get a cheap cup of coffee and someone's playing music, which in itself was a callback to early 60s folk culture. But Starbucks starts off as a very small Seattle coffee shop, which, and Seattle, of course, is where grunge music comes from. Grunge was the, the soundtrack to slacker culture. And then Starbucks becomes this huge multinational corporation very corporate but on it's surface it's on it's surface it's essentially fucking Tom Hanks and big it doesn't present itself as a corporation even though it is a bloody corporation it's branding and image is oh but we're cool we're just bringing you coffee you know we're just bringing you coffee And this is where I see, this is what I'm getting at. When I say that Big was a very important science fiction film in predicting where we are today, this is what I'm talking about. It influenced Generation X to to, to still be corporate and still go to the office, but to create the facade that they're still cool while doing it and if we think back to Tom Hanks's bedroom and Tom Hanks's carry-on in his office you know what the fuck do we see today in the offices of Google or Facebook all the multinational corporations they don't look like offices they have beanbag chairs they have trampolines these things these these things that in 88 were hilarious have now been adopted into mainstream office and corporate culture as a facade and this was started by the Generation Xers who were teenagers who were watching Big when they grew up. Elon Musk, even in in how he behaves and how he speaks, he's Tom Hanks in Big. He's got a company called The Boring Company he he's marketing a fucking flamethrower that just exists for the laugh a tie Elon Musk is Tom Hanks in big so I mean this is what I'd call the, the bigification of the workplace but like the yuppies idolised Reagan and Thatcher for generation X who they kind of looked towards would have been Bill Clinton and Tony Blair. And what you have with Clinton and Blair, very much they were neoliberal. They Blair in particular would would you know would hate to be seen as stuffy and evil like Thatcher. So instead expertly creates a facade of being young and cool and different while secretly Still carrying on with these neoliberal policies that crush Britain. And same type of shit with fucking Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was the coolest cunt going. He was the young generation ex-president. He played the fucking saxophone. Sure, how could he be a politician? But his policies were quite different. And this is reflected as well in the bigification of the corporate workplace today they looked at Tom Hanks and Big and all they did was take from his behaviour but not his values or ideals. Tom Hanks and Big isn't isn't nasty, isn't mean. So it's as if they only identified with the superficial qualities of his character and still kept the bloodthirsty rootlessness of the yuppie but decided only to get rid of the facade so generation X managed to engage in a type of collective cognitive dissonance where they're effectively lying to to themselves we can still be corporate we can still be cutthroat but we're cool though you know we invented casual Fridays why would you want to wear a suit suits are for darks suits are for yuppies we're cool in here I want to see you wearing sneakers and jeans you know all these benefits it's like we don't have offices we've got floating desks just walk around the place with your laptop you don't have to sit down in an office that's stuffy and uncool what am I a dad do you know what I mean seats we don't have seats we've got bean bags oh you are stressed out come play at the pool table cans of coke are free the modern office place is big. It's Tom Hanks's fucking bedroom in Big. And this is why today, if you were to release Big, like if you go back and look at Big now, 50% of the laughs are gone. There is nothing at all absurd or strange about a 30-year-old man turning up to work in a pair of sneakers, riding a BMX and playing with ties. This is now mainstream normal culture for Millennials. And this bigification of corporations, okay, it's, it was sold to us under the idea of, it creates, you know, a less stress-free environment in the workplace, uh, or it enables creativity. And I'm sure those things are true. And I'm sure the person who goes into the office that has beanbags and that has video games, their time in work, you know, at their nine to five, is going to be more pleasant than if it was just an office these are ultimately good things but unfortunately what they were used for and what they continue to be used for it's merely a very friendly facade a very very friendly facade that in the late 90s and most of the 2000s it's like these big corporations especially going to google or facebook in ireland you know either of them the corporate headquarters are here beanbags fucking everywhere they're amazing places i've been in there they're cool as fuck it's a giant daycare center for adults it's amazing but they're not paying taxes um the workers don't have unions all of these things that the baby boomers had that they got right you know if we take it back to the 60s and fucking madmen it might have been a very stuffy workplace environment where people got pissed and there was a huge amount of uh You know, women weren't even allowed into the workplace all terrible things but they had health care they had unions they had a right to uh, hold on to their jobs they had pensions these things don't exist anymore in the modern corporate environment and instead what they've been replaced with are ties they've been replaced with colourful ties and bean bags and it's a form of grooming it's a form of fucking grooming it's what do you mean you want a union look at all the pizza we brought in last friday we had pizza day on friday everyone ate free pizza you want a union but we're so nice why could you want a union what about our human rights abuses in indonesia you can play video games all day if you want you're under no pressure deadlines what are they let's go and brainstorm do you know what I mean and not you know calling people by their names and notions it's all just a fucking facade it's the bigification of the workplace and this is what millennials right so like I said now millennials born between 1982 and the year 2000 older millennials so the older millennials who are now mid 30s, we'll say the older millennials who are over the age of 25 we'll say what you see, so we've got right, yuppie, that's what you did with your 20s and the 80s then slacker, if you were Gen X millennials have got the hipster now the hipster is kind of gone now the hipster would have been from 2006 to I would say the hipster ended about 2013... ...when everyone started getting beards... ...but... ...the hipster is then a continuation... ...it's a cultural continuation on... ...from the environment... ...that... ...the... ...Gen Xers who grew, who watched... ...Big created... ...so... first off the Gen Xers... ...when they were starting their offices... ...like look at what happened to Brooklyn... ...in New York... ...look at what happened to... ...Shoreditch and the east end of London, Hackney. Millennials didn't do that, baby boomers did that. In the late 90s, the baby boomers said, fuck Manhattan, let's go to Brooklyn, this very poor place, and let's buy a warehouse, okay? And let's go to Hackney or go to Dalston and buy a warehouse there. And we're gonna turn the warehouse into a very vibrant, creative space. And everything's gonna be really cool and creative and the rents are low and this is, how could this even be an office, we're in Brooklyn, there's people doing crack outside and we can hear hear gunshots, wow we're so dangerous and cool, and it's the Gen Xers who owned these companies and who started this, and then the older millennials around the year 2006 start moving into these companies and working there, now the rent goes up massively, so the situation now with the The millennials now can't afford... Like, you can't live in fucking Brooklyn anymore. You can't live in the East End. Berlin was the place to go. Now that's gone. What what I'm trying to get at is... Culture and economics work together to essentially extend adulthood. The yuppies went straight to fucking adult. Gen X said, Fuck that, you stuffy cunts. I'm holding off adulthood until about twenty-six. But with hipsters and older millennials, adulthood is really postponed, and you see this in our culture today. Like comic books are things that adults buy. If you look at the the biggest films, like I remember when, like in the early two thousands, like superhero films started becoming a thing that adults went to. And at first it was a novelty. But now. You know like. The Batman films are are subject to serious critical debate. This is now. Mainstream adult culture. Are things for children. And it's not an insane fucking idea. Like teenagers didn't exist. Before the 50s. Before the 1950s. You got to the you wore short pants, you got to 12 years of age, then you got long pants and you were a fucking adult and there was no in between before the 1950s it didn't exist but then the baby boomers, the first baby boomers who would have been the age of 12 in the 50s these were the first ever teenagers because of capitalism and you know the the massive economic boom after the war you now had this new class of consumer who were searching for an identity between the ages of 12 and 18 and these were called teenagers and, you know, the the music of the 50s and 60s came about because this new gap of fucking people emerged and adulthood became something that happened when you were 18. Now, adulthood is being postponed to I mean, fucking 40? I don't know. 40 years of age and I think this is the new thing and you can trace it all to a combination of economic, political and cultural factors and it's quite clearly evidence and this is why at the start of the podcast I said I'm not sure what my fucking hot take is and to be honest there's a couple of hot takes in this episode The, the one I'm definitely sure about is that big is the most accurate fucking science fiction representation of what 2019 would be like all right but like i said in dublin the millennials were raised with wendy houses at the back garden being told this will be yours one day one day you are going to own your own fucking house okay just you'll be grand whether it was gen x parents or baby boomer parents just do your thing you'll go to college you'll be fine you will one day own a house because of the policies that started in the 1980s of trickle down economics and neoliberalism and what both of those things cause is a massive massive shift of wealth from poor to the rich and a disparity now you just have millennials who can't get houses going when is it my time to be an adult I can't have a child even though I'm in my 30s I'm still trying to save for a gaffe you know trying to get a mortgage um, I have a lot of debt because of the neoliberalisation of education which was once free is now quite expensive um, I might have a crack at a master's degree I mean that's the other thing too you know the way that education was privatised it it devalued it And now a master's degree is worth what a regular degree was 10 years ago. And a PhD is now the thing that you you want. So you have this highly educated um, generation of people who are just postponing adulthood because of economic situation. But you've got loads of comic books and you can wear trainers in your 30s. And that would have been unacceptable 10 years ago. Brilliant or 20 years ago and I also I view it as a great irony that Trump is president of America because he was a yuppie god the yuppies like he was the biggest yuppie he was the, the, the yuppies in in New York in the 80s Trump was the guy that they wanted to be and he he kind of encapsulated it all and now he's the fucking president And for younger millennials who are in their twenties now, you know what we're kind of seeing there—that manifestation of, um, you know, they're still working in the offices of corporations that have bean bags and pizza on Fridays. But younger millennials, their values—it's it's not hipsterism that they're into; they're into social justice and being woke. ...and being politically correct... ...and we're seeing this now reflected... ...with... ...corporations... ...pretending to be... ...very very woke... ...and all about social justice... ...even though those corporations are committing... ...actual human rights abuses in the global south... ...against very poor people... ...the same bullshit... ...do you know? Um, ...I don't know what's going to happen with Generation Z... ...they're only just after turning 19... We'll have to see. One thing I can be positive of, because it's a pattern, and it has to happen. I guarantee it. Generation Y. When, like, the millennials that are in, like, we'll say the millennials that I am, right? So I'm late millennial. I was born in the 80s. So we're already old now. The ones in their 20s are going to be old soon. And once you tip over 25... Once you go beyond 25, you're no longer cool. You you don't have access to coolness anymore. Coolness is whatever people from the ages of 16 and 25 are doing. That's what's cool. Whatever they're doing is cool. And they must define their coolness. It has to be defined by a rejection of what has gone before. So I don't know how the 18, 19-year-olds, how, how they're going to reject millennial values to redefine a new coolness um, maybe it will be a rebirth of a type of a type of yuppieism, but there's no actual money there I don't know but it, it has to be it will have to be a rejection it will have to be if if they're 19 and they're looking at someone who's 26, 27 they're going to go they're old, that's not cool what can I do that's the opposite so we'll have to wait and see we will have to wait and see so was that a long hot take that was this week's episode I, I thoroughly enjoyed that I enjoyed just talking and exploring an idea in real time witchy um, I felt I liked it look my role when I'm doing a podcast is that if I'm interested and passionate about what it is and that is something those past 80 minutes or whatever they were I was genuinely interested and passionate so hopefully that will uh, come across to you as an interesting listen and if it wasn't go back to a different podcast or I'll have something next week that will interest you. you you terrible terrible boys and girls yeah I sign off by saying fucking boys and girls the fuck You're adults. I'm an adult. Let's have a bit of a revolution. Alright, God bless. I'll talk to you next week.